0: and the verses that we're looking at tonight all deal with personal righteousness. Last week we looked at personal righteousness and, uh, and, and you say, well, what, why, do you, why do you categorize it like that? Because it, is, uh, it has to do with your person being right with God. So therefore it is personal righteousness. Next week, Lord willing, uh, or, or not next week rather, but the week after. Next week we'll have a missionary in, and uh, so I want to encourage you to be back next week, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, but uh, the week after that, Lord willing, we'll look at um, righteousness and how it affects other people. So when you live right, uh, believe it or not, that impacts those around you. Uh, and conversely, when you live wrong, it also impacts those Around you, So we'll look at that next week, uh, not next week, the following week after that. And, uh, and so uh, really there was about 11 verses, if I remember correctly, that dealt with righteousness. And four of them, uh, or maybe it was six of them, I don't recall. I think it was six of them deal with uh, personal righteousness. And five of them dealt with uh, righteousness and how it affects other people. So tonight we're going to look at uh, a, a recipe for personal righteousness, a recipe for personal righteousness. I don't cook, uh, and it's not because I, I really can't cook. It's because I don't really have an interest in cooking. Uh, I have cooked before. Uh, I have followed a recipe and actually cooked, and uh, it, it's just not something that, I don't know, it just doesn't interest me. Uh, but, but I find, I know this to be true, uh, if anybody gets a recipe... Uh, and if they follow the instructions, you pretty much can cook. I mean, some people do better, obviously, than other people, uh, and some people are more natural at it than other people. And and uh, and if you work at it, you can get better at it. Uh, but I do know that if you have a recipe, you can follow that recipe, and, and you can make something. Um, on the on the other side, well, go to my my interest because cooking's not it. Uh, but my dad always taught me, he said, when, when I bought my first car, he said, go out and buy a Haynes manual. Now, a Haynes manual is a book that tells you all about your car. It tells you how to change the brakes. It tells you how to do this and how to do that. And I find that it's, it's probably pretty much like a recipe book. It tells you, step one, do this. Step two, do that. Step three, do this. And it walks you through repairing your vehicles. That was before YouTube, all right? Uh, And uh, we didn't have YouTube to say, well, how do you do this? And then you look it up. I will say that YouTube is convenient, but it's not always accurate. I will say that. And, uh, and the Haynes manual was more accurate. But, but also, uh, as you think about that, it, it would help me uh, repair anything on my car. Listen, God has given us a manual for our life. Now, let me tell you this as well. You probably won't find God's manual completely laid out for you on YouTube, all right? Uh, and, and, and some of the videos may or may not be accurate that you'll find on YouTube, But I can tell you this, uh, definitively you can always go to the manual that God has given us and find the answers for life and find help when we run into a problem or sometimes when something just needs maintained in our life. And so tonight what we're going to look at is a recipe, something that you can follow to have personal righteousness in your own life. And uh, this comes right from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28. Look with me at verse number 13. We'll start there. The Bible says this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for leaving us a copy of Your Word, Father, that we can read, that we can understand. God, that we can put our faith and trust in, uh, in Your Word, Father. God, that You've given it to us to help us, as, as You said in, in Timothy, Father, as uh, instruction in righteousness. And God, I pray that as we look at your instruction in righteousness and we look at this uh, simple recipe, Father, that we would uh, follow it in our lives. And God, that we would have personal righteousness in our own lives. And Father, we'll be careful uh, to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this verse, uh, all of the verses that we're going to look at this evening, they start with uh, a phrase and they give you one, and and consequently, all of them start with a negative phrase, and then they have but, and they'll give you a contrast and a positive idea uh, that will be the other side of that phrase. So if you do this, then this will happen, and if you do this, then good things will happen. And all of these verses that we're going to look at follow that same exact pattern. In this verse tonight, he says this, He that covereth his sins "...shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." And I want to look at the whole of the verse. And so I put down here uh, the first step in in personal righteousness is confessing your sins. Confessing your sins. The Bible gives us a clear example here in the first part of the verse of what happens to those who who do not confess their sins. And you know what they do? Uh, by and large, they cover their sins. Um, and listen, that is a natural reaction. That is the first thing that everyone thinks uh, when, when they realize that they have messed up, when they realize they have done something wrong, their first intention and their first reaction is, I've got to cover this up. Nobody else can know about this. By the way, that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Did it not? In the Garden of Eden, did they not sin? They went against the Word of God. And immediately, now there were other things in play there, but uh, but immediately they realized and recognized, we're naked. We've got to cover ourselves up. And so they covered themselves up. But on top of that, when God came looking for them, what did they do? They hid themselves. Why? Because they knew they weren't right with God. And so they attempted to cover their sins. They attempted to get away with it and say, hey, we're going to cover our sins. By the way, you can take this concept. I wrote down uh, at least uh, three or four, no, four or five examples from Scripture that you can take this verse and apply it to scriptural examples. Another example that I came up with that I thought of off the top of my head was Achan, uh, you remember in the book of Joshua, chapter number 7, you can jot that down and you can go back and read it. What took place in that, in that chapter? Well, uh, uh, Joshua led the nation of Israel in, uh, to battle against Ai, and instead of defeating Ai, which was a small uh, country, that, their city rather, that should have been defeated rather easily, rather than beat them, they were defeated. And, and they come back to their town and they're discouraged and, and Israelites had died in that battle and Joshua's upset and he's saying, what is going on? God, you promised us victory and Joshua is upset and families are upset and men have died and, and they're concerned and God shows Joshua, listen, there is sin in the camp of Israel. Joshua's like, wait a minute, this is a problem. And so God reveals it. And, and, uh, and through a series, I, I like to go through that. Uh, we're not going to go through it tonight, but I'm just going to tell you what happened. And, 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 and God reveals to Joshua, hey, it is this tribe. And so Joshua calls that tribe. Now, I think it's just my opinion, but I think Achan had an opportunity right there to say, well, wait a minute, I messed up. This is getting too close to home. I mean, it, they've called my tribe. But instead of doing that, He's, uh, he applies a little little makeup so that nobody's going to see him blush and maybe he hangs his hat a little bit lower so he can't look at his eyes and, and he's standing there and, 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 and God reveals to, to Joshua, uh, listen, amongst this tribe, it is this family. Surprise, surprise, it's Achan's family. And so uh, I'm talking about his uncles and his nephews and his uh, cousins, and, and I'm talking about the big family clan. And so the big family clan then is called out of the tribe. And, and, uh, and as they're looking at this clan, I think another opportunity presents itself for Achan to say, you know, this is my fault. And to confess, but he does not do that. Instead, he, he continues to hang his head a little lower and kind of step to the back of the family, you know, so that he's obscured from view of everyone else and nobody can tell uh, that, that it's Achan. And before long, uh, God reveals to Joshua, hey, it is Achan that took of the things that did not belong to him. And the Bible says that he took them back and he hid them in his tent. You know what he did? He was covering his sins. He was trying to cover up and hide what he had done uh, from all the nation of Israel because he did not want anyone else to know. Listen, you might be able to hide your sins from some people, but can I tell you this? You will never hide them from God. It's not possible. And other people around you may not see them, but I will tell you this, that God does see them. And the Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. I could go on and on about, with, with different examples. And uh, you think about David and Bathsheba and, and all that, that took place. And man, I'm amazed at the extent of which David went through and tried to cover his sins and even murdered Uriah the Hittite. You say, "What to what extent will man go to cover their sins? They'll go through great extent. They will murder people. They will, uh, there's lots of things that man has done and will do to try and cover their sins. But the word of God is true that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That's not my word. That's God's word. I just want you to understand that. I'm glad the verse doesn't end there. I'm glad that there is a second part of that verse. I'm glad there's, some, there's a remedy and there's a recipe to have personal righteousness in our life because the truth of the matter is the Bible says that uh, we're all sinners. And that means that all of us mess up and all of us have sin in our life. But listen, God didn't leave us without a remedy to fix the situation. He's given us a a way that we can have our life right with Him. The second part of that verse says, But whoso confesseth and forsaketh, them shall have mercy. I absolutely love this verse. What an amazing verse in the Old Testament that explains how we can be right with God. Listen, they, uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, we try to cover our sins, but the reality is we must confess our sins. Now listen, we, uh, we are not uh, a religious system where you have to come and confess your sins to me or some other man. No, the Bible is very clear that, hey, we can confess our sins directly to God. And the Bible says in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad tonight as a child of God that listen, I have an advocate with God the Father and that would be Jesus Christ. I have a lawyer that will go to God for me and will plead the blood of Jesus Christ and say, "Hey, that's one of my child. That's my child." And he's covered with the blood. And I'm grateful Tonight, that I have an advocate with the Father. And if we'll confess our sins, uh, listen, there is, uh, I'll say this because it's not uh, perhaps in our text, but you do have to be saved. Uh, and listen, salvation is the same way. It's going to God and it's saying, you know what, God, I am a sinner and I need to be saved and he'll save you. He, listen, God is a loving, compassionate God that wants to change mankind. He's not sitting there waiting to judge mankind, but he's waiting, sitting there, waiting to help mankind. And if somebody will humble themselves and come to God and confess their sins, then listen, uh, first and foremost, he'll save you. And after salvation, listen, sometimes we still mess up and sometimes we still have to come to God and say, God, forgive me for that. Hey, he is just as willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an awesome God we serve. That we can confess our sins. And that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our righteousness. I mentioned earlier David and Bathsheba. And Psalm 51. We won't go there for sake of time. But you, you note it down. And you can go back and read Psalm 51. It is David's repentance psalm. You remember what happened? First uh, Samuel or Second Samuel, rather, chapter eleven, uh, and and the very end of the chapter. I think it's verse twenty-eight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that the, you get to the end of the chapter, uh, David has successfully covered his sin. I mean, nobody seemed to know what took place. Although that's not true because his chief soldier, Joab, uh, his captain of the tribe, knew what took place. And the servants, they knew what took place. There were a lot of people that did know what was happening. But, uh, but by and large, David thought he successfully covered his sin. But at the very end of the chapter, it says, but God was displeased. The next chapter, verse chapter 12, God sends Nathan, the prophet of God. And says, and he gives him an illustration, and then Nathan says, "Thou art the man." And and David is confronted with his sin, and after that, we find uh, verse number or, or Psalm chapter fifty one is is David's repentant psalm that he penned. Uh, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and he said, "And, and had Uriah the Hittite killed and, and it, was, uh, it was his cry out to God saying, "Hey, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me and restore the joy of my salvation." We find David his confession in psalm fifty one I want you to notice the verse doesn 't stop with simply confess, but The Bible would have us cast off. Look with me in Colossians. Save your spot in Proverbs 28 as we'll be back there. And go with me to Colossians chapter number 3. In the New Testament, Colossians chapter number 3. Verse number 8. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 8. Under confessing our sins, we, have to, uh, we should not cover our sins. We ought to confess our sins, but then we ought to cast them off or, uh, or forsake them, as the Bible would say. In other words, uh, get rid of them and, and, and attempt not to continually live in that sin. The Bible says here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number, verse number 8. Look with me there. Colossians 3.8. But now ye also put off... All these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man... With his deeds. And he's saying, hey, listen, that that we ought to uh, put these things away from us. You know, when you get saved, your life ought to change. He goes on in verse number 10. And he says, and have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So he's saying, listen, after you put off the old works of the flesh and after you get rid of the old ways and the old things and you put on something new uh, according to the Word of God and according to the Bible and according to Jesus Christ, uh, jump down with me at verse number 11 there. He says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, uh, Scythian, uh, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12 Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And He says, hey, you ought to put off your old life. Listen, our old life comes back really easy. It's easy to... Uh, sin. It's easy to uh, live in, in our flesh. Uh, but he's saying, hey, we ought to put those things off. In Sunday school, the adult Sunday school class, we're going through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been going through one at a time. And I'll be honest with you, I've never done that before. And, and uh, just going through each one and studying what is joy and what is peace. And uh, this Sunday coming up, we're going to be looking at long suffering. And, and, and I'm thinking, uh, it's quite amazing to trace those things through the Word of God. And, and by and large, those are not natural traits that we have. It's not natural to be joyful uh, for, for some people. It's not natural to be uh, at peace. Uh, matter of fact, we, were, we looked at that and, and I'm just amazed because the world is such an anxious place. But we can have the peace of God. It's the fruit. It's putting off the works of the flesh and putting on the works of God uh, by, by allowing God and the Holy Spirit to live within our life and operate through us. And so we find that uh, in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13, the first step for personal righteousness is confessing our sins. I have to tell you this joke. I know I've told it before, but I only got five jokes, so you have to listen to them over and over again. But um, these three, uh, these three fellows, they were uh, they were out on a ship and and uh, and one of them said uh, they, they were out fishing, not on a ship, on a boat, they were out fishing and and uh, one of them said, you know, fellas, uh, confession is good for the soul. And, uh, and they said, well, all right. And, uh, and so the one guy said, he said, uh, he said well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess to you guys something. He said, sometimes, he said, when things get really hard, he said, man, I go out and I take a drink of alcohol. And they're all like, Phew. he's like, I know. I shouldn't. I know it's wrong. I shouldn't. But I do. The other guy, he said, man, he said, yeah. he said you know. He said, "I have to confess something too." He said, "You know, sometimes uh, when things are difficult, he said, I go out and I'll smoke." He said, "I know I shouldn't." He's like, "But we're, since we're all confessing something," the third guy's sitting there and he's pretty quiet. And and um, and they said, "Well, wh- why don't you why don't you confess something?" And he said, Oh, I, I don't know. I don't want to." And, and they said, "Well, confession's good, and we already did, and you probably should confess something too." He said, "Well." He, he said, I don't know. They got, they got towards the end of the fishing trip, and they're getting ready to head back, and they're, like, they're, they're really pressing them. They say, hey, you, you need to confess something. Finally, they, he, he gets close enough to shore, and, and he says, all right. He said, fellas, I, he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, I have a little bit of a problem, and it's gossip. I got to go. <laughs> you don't have to confess your sins one to another, but we ought to confess our sins to God. And uh, and listen, if you offend somebody, then you should go to that person and confess your sins to that person. But uh, but by and large, hey, we need to confess our sins to God and say, God, forgive me for these things. And uh, and so we see the first step is confession of your sins. Look with me at verse number twenty five, Proverbs chapter twenty eight, verse number twenty five. We'll look at the second step in the, in the recipe of personal righteousness. The first step in the recipe for personal righteousness is confession of your sins. The second step in the uh, recipe for personal righteousness, in verse number 25, he says this, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And pondering this verse, at the first outlook, you say, man, those two thoughts really aren't that related. But as you think about them and and ponder them a little bit, I I believe there is a a, a thought that ties those two thoughts together. The first part of the verse here says, uh, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. We kind of understand that. We know what that is saying. Uh, but the second part of the verse says, but he that is putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And so I want to take the whole verse and, uh, and I'll explain to you how we come to this conclusion. But I put down uh, the first step was confessing our sins. The second is confide in the Lord. That, of course, is that second phrase there that says, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat how do we get to the conclusion that uh, these two two, uh, thoughts would go together? And as I was thinking about this verse and and asking the Lord to help me understand this, uh, we we look at it, and I want you to understand this, that oftentimes uh, we find reliance on self because the second part of the verse is reliance on the Lord. So the first part of the verse, I think, has to do with reliance on self. And as we rely on self, listen, there is a a great deal of pride in being self-reliant. In other words, having the ability to be able to help ourselves. How many people uh, are, are very prideful in the manner of, hey, I built this myself. And sometimes it's not necessarily bad that you say, hey, look at that, I man, I was able to actually do something. And, and, and there's an element that's not necessarily bad. But at the other side of the fence, if you go too far with that and, it, and you let it run away and you allow the pride to build up to the point that, hey, you can become self-reliant to the point that you would never rely on God for anything. Matter of fact, you would cut him out of the picture. And it would say, idea of, uh, hey, I, I, I built this myself, or I grew this myself, or uh, I did this myself. I have provided for myself, and I therefore do not need God in my life. And people who run down that road, as you would know, as you would well understand, uh, would, would cut out God, and therefore, in our, in our book of Proverbs, would be classified a fool. Uh, somebody who would know God or have access to the truth, but, but not accept it and not be willing to understand it. And so therefore, uh, their providing for their self becomes a, a problem of pride and arrogance in their life. And you carry that over not only for providing for themselves, but also into solving problems for themselves. And I'll be honest with you, I like to solve problems. I don't know why, I just do. And uh, and things uh, things weigh on my mind, like I, I'll continually think about stuff. Sometimes I obsess about stuff. I'm like, well, I wonder if I could do this or uh, do that. And I'll look for solutions because I want to solve this problem. And and, and uh, you can do that to a fault where it, where you become unreliant upon God and totally reliant upon yourself and think, well, look, at I'm all wise and I know everything. And it displaces God in your life. Then it goes a step further and we find prideful self-sufficiency. And one of the problems with prideful self-sufficiency is that obviously it does not depend upon God. But the real problem comes here is when somebody wrongs you, you're so self-sufficient that the only way to get justice is from yourself. You follow me? So you start out as as a self-sufficient person and man, I I do all this, I provide for myself and and I I problem solve for myself and I help myself and I I live my life by myself and I am powerful and I'm intelligent and I'm able to do all of these things on my own. But when somebody wrongs you then because you're so self-sufficient, you are the one then that must dish out the justice because you are so self-sufficient that you cannot depend Upon God to take care of things, and that's where strife comes in. That's where problems come in. That's where uh, that's where um, the idea of the word is escaping me right now. It's it's. I thought I wrote it down here. I'm sure I did, but I can't read that fast. I write all these notes down and then I don't even look at them. I just grab the main points off them. But strife, contention—that's the word I was looking for. Contention. Where uh, you have to strive to be number one because you are self-sufficient and you are able to do all things for yourself. And listen, where does this come into play? Uh, As I was thinking about Scripture and and, and looking over Scripture, I, I think really this portrays itself in Cain and Abel. You look at Abel. And God told him, we don't have much recorded, but the little bit that we do have recorded, we find out that Abel brought an offering of the sheep of his flocks to God and provided that offering, and God accepted that offering. What did Cain bring? Well, Cain, he brought the the fruit of the ground that he labored, that he grew, even though he didn't make the rainfall, even though he didn't make the sunshine, even though he didn't make uh, everything else, the, 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 the nutrients in the soil, arrive at the roots of his plant, but still he grew it, and, uh, and he became self-sufficient and providing and saying, listen, I've labored over this, and this, this sacrifice, it ought to be sufficient for God because I brought it myself, and he tried to include his own works within the, the realm of religious circles and saying, hey, these are my works and these ought to be good enough for you, God. And they were not. And when they were not, Cain became upset. And what was the only way to solve it? Well, of course, it wasn't fix self because he wasn't wrong. It was fix Abel, even though Abel was wrong. And so what did Cain do then? He went to Abel and the Bible says that he slew him. He had to extract his own justice. Because there was in his mind and in his method, There was no other justice that was coming. He was not going to wait on God because obviously he was in the wrong and Abel was in the right. And he could not wait on God because there was no justice coming from God because Abel was completely justified in everything that he did. And what the verse, I believe, is saying as we look at it again, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. In other words, he becomes so self-reliant and, and he's so much better than everyone that is around him that it becomes an obstacle of strife to all of those around him and the contention that it brings with it. If we, we've looked at that many times in the book of Proverbs and we can see that that indeed is a fact with all that contention and all that pride and all that arrogance. But the second half of the verse, he says this, but he that putteth his trust In the Lord shall be made fat. Three things about reliance on God. Number one, to rely on God, you must realize your own inabilities. I've said this many times when you bow the knee and pray to God and you ask God, God, help me to do this thing. Whatever it is, maybe you teach a Sunday school class and you say, God, help me to, uh, to, to teach this class. Maybe you sing in the choir. You say, God, help me to be able to sing in the choir and hit the notes that I need to be able to hit. You're recognizing your inability to do something without the help and without the aid of God. That's necessary. To put our trust in God, we've got to recognize, hey, we have faults or we have inabilities. We we don't have the power that it takes to do what God would have us to do. We have to recognize that. The second thing is we recognize God's superiority in everything. We say, God, help me. And God knows. Can I say this? You know this to be true. God knows far better than we do. He just does. He always does. He always will. And he's superior in knowledge and he's superior in ability and he's superior in everything. And when we recognize how little and small and helpless we are and how big our God is, hey, it makes it a whole, that's confiding in God. That's saying, God, we need your help with this. And then lastly, is to confide in Him. And, and listen, when we realize that we're not able and we realize that He is, uh, it, makes, it makes our confidence and makes our trust in God so much better. Go with me to verse 26, the following verse. We find number one, confessing our sins. Number two, confiding in God. Number three, look with me in verse number 26. The Bible says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Again, that is not my word. That's God's word. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. We have confessing our sins. We have confiding in God. And thirdly, I want you to put down, continue your walk with God. We find here in verse 24, or 26 rather, I'm sorry. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. We hear it all the time. We are bombarded with it on the radio, on Hollywood. Uh, They say it all the time. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. I mean, day in and day out, you'll hear it. I, I promise you, if you pay attention, you'll probably hear it this week. Trust your heart. Some form of follow your heart. Your heart knows what's best. They'll give you some form of advice like that. Listen, the Bible, you mark this down. You memorize this verse. You take it home with you. The Bible says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And yet they constantly contradict exactly what God has written because they don't want to follow God. Uh, Listen, you cannot trust in your own understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And the second half of that verse, I, I never have liked. You can mark that down, there's one I don't like. Not many of them. But it says, and lean not unto your own understanding." I like to understand stuff. I like to wrap my head around stuff. I like to have a good understanding of what is going on. But the fact of the matter is, God's word says, uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. There are times that God will ask things of you that simply don't make human sense to us. It doesn't make human sense that we would come to a building and we'd sit here on a, on a Wednesday night uh, and we, we would sing a couple of songs and we'd listen to a guy get up there and scream and holler and shout and, and trip over his words uh, for, for 30 minutes. That doesn't make sense to us. But yet God set it up and God ordained it. That's preaching. And that's what God he said that we should do. And, and, uh, and listen, that, that we should uh, follow God's word. And listen, we don't always understand everything that he says. But I can tell you this, that we ought to trust him. You can't trust your own understanding. We cannot trust your own heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know I've pointed these verses out, but go with me to Mark chapter number seven and uh, save your spot in Proverbs. We'll be back there. Mark chapter number seven. I want you to see this from the very word of God. What is what is potentially in the heart? They talk about heart disease. They haven't discovered half the heart disease. It's. It's right here in the Word of God. They're only diagnosing the physical problems, not the spiritual heart disease that exists in every single person. Look with me in Mark chapter number 7 and verse number 21. Because Jesus is being asked by his, uh, the Pharisees, they were asking Him about washing of hands and, and, and that, and, uh, and He goes into a very serious lesson with them, very short, and He says this in verse number 21. Mark 7:21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride. Foolishness, all these evil things, you can underline that word, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. You know what's wrong with society? You know how to fix all of society? Preach the word of God. I mean hearts have got to be changed from the wickedness that is within uh, to the word of by the word of God uh, to God's righteousness. That's the only thing. Uh, Listen, you can you can reform people on the outside and they'll go right back to it. You can put people in jail. You can punish them. You can do all of the things uh, that, that, that you will do. But listen, the word of God is the only thing that is going to change the heart of mankind. That's what's on the inside. And that's what Hollywood is telling you to trust. That. Follow, the, follow all that is what they're saying. I mean, that's what Jesus said is on the inside of the heart. And he's saying, listen, it will come out. And I'm telling you this, from the word of God tonight, do not follow your heart. You will be an heir. And the Bible says, you worse than an heir, you will be a fool to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. You say, Preacher, well, if we don't follow our heart, what are we supposed to do? Well, look with me in the next phrase. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 26, he that, is of a, or, uh, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Decide to walk wisely. What is walking wisely? We've been studying it for the past year and a half in the book of Proverbs We've been going through verse after verse after verse that gives us wisdom. And the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You are not going to walk wisely if you are avoiding God. You are not going to walk wisely if you're not following the Word of God. You are not going to walk wisely if you are not heeding and obeying the Word of God. Because the Word of God is very clear. The Bible says, uh, for it is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the Word of God is what what will direct our life so that we can live a wise life. Life, as it says here. And we can walk wisely following the word of God, not following our heart. And so continue your walk, but not following your heart, but following the word of God. And look at what he says at the last part. He shall be delivered. And I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. And, and He will deliver us. From what? He'll deliver you from wrath. He'll deliver you from your enemies. He'll deliver you. You go on and on and on and on. Read the Word of God. And you'll find ways that He will deliver you. He will deliver you from... Uh, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. And man, there is a ton of things that walking wisely will just keep you out of a lot of trouble. Just heeding the Word of God. I remember... I don't remember what year exactly, but I, it was at least one year in our family devotions. I decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read the book of Proverbs. We read the book of Proverbs and we finished it. You know what we did? We started all back over on the book of Proverbs. And I'd say for a good solid year, we read just the book of Proverbs every day. And every, every day, every proverb that we would read, I'm telling you, every single time there was something in there that would just say, You need to walk right. You need to live right. It's just such a practical book full of wisdom that that every day it would guide our step if we would heed what it's saying and follow what it's saying. We need to walk wisely following God's Word. And He shall be delivered. The fellow that Wrote this song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. At least one of the accounts that I read, he was an heir to a throne and he gave up all of his royalty uh, to marry a, a young lady. And she was a Christian lady and she influenced his life for Christ greatly. And he penned the words to this song I'd Rather Have Jesus Than Silver or Gold. I'd Rather Be His Than Have Riches Untold. I'd Rather Have Jesus Than Houses or Land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. What an incredible song. The world constantly flaunts lots of stuff before us. It's constantly tempting us and constantly like a carrot before a rabbit trying to draw us away. But I'm telling you, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather walk wisely and be delivered and have peace in my life then follow after the world and follow after the wickedness and follow after all the craziness that goes with the world. I'd rather follow God. Just three things for a recipe for personal righteousness. One, confess to God. Two, confide, trust in God. Three, I have to look back at my notes, continue your walk with God. It's got to be a constant. There'll be some days will be better than others. There'll be some days you'll mess up. And you know what? You go back to step number one, confess, confide, get up and brush off and continue walking with the Lord. That's a recipe for personal righteousness. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we know that you desire personal righteousness for us. God, matter of fact, it is the best way to live our lives. Oh, the world will say you're missing out on fun, but in reality, you're missing out on heartache, troubles, guilt. You're missing out on all the things that the world suffers from. In reality, by living for you. God, I know on a Wednesday night, it is our faithful crowd of people. And God, we know, we, we strive to live righteously. God, I, I ask that you'd help us to live righteously. God, even in our faithfulness, it's possible for us to mess up. And help us, God, to keep a close walk with you. Help us to confess and to confide and to continue walking with you in our life. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every heart as only you can. Help and strengthen each and every Christian as only you can. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altars open. If God's spoken to your heart. Maybe there's something you want to confess to the Lord. Maybe there's something you want to get right. Maybe you just want to ask him to help you strengthen your walk with him. Whatever the need, God loves you tonight. He wants to strengthen you and help you. to a close. Again, I appreciate your faithfulness, being in the house of the Lord tonight. And, and uh, I hope and pray it's a blessing and a help to you and an encouragement. Um, and uh, certainly we need to live righteously and you won't regret it. I can promise you, I can promise you that. I've never heard anybody say, man, I regret living right. I've never heard somebody say that. I've heard plenty of people say, I regret doing stupid stuff.